Don't you just hate awkward silences? How long can you last? It's worse for me. <laughs> I really struggle with them. <laughs> I'm not really keen on awkward silences at all. My brain goes into overdrive and I try and compensate and think of all the things that I could say to break the tension, even if it means making a bit of an idiot out of myself. And I'm probably imagining the tension that isn't actually there anyway. For any of you who've spent any amount of time with me, <laughs> this probably won't be very surprising because in most conversations I fill all of the gaps with some sort of story or anecdote or, or question or, or quiz. So sorry about that if you've ever had to sit through a conversation in which I've just bombarded you with information. Um, this happens a lot actually. So I, I end up having a lot of awkward silences, particularly in September, October sort of time. So at the beginning of the year, um, I do student work um, here at GT, um, and um, at the beginning of the year, um, obviously all these 17, 18-year-olds all, all come along to G2, or they, they try out church or whatever, and I end up meeting them on campuses and all sorts of things. And, um, and often, none of them have really hung out with someone who they don't know before. You don't go for coffee, before you kind of, before uni, you don't really go for coffee with someone that you've never met in your life or had a conversation with. I'm just like talk to them on Facebook or something and they've asked me about church and I'd be like let's go for coffee so I tend to encounter this a lot because you know once you you've asked them where they come from and what they study and what college they're in or whatever and what they name do they miss their pet or something like that then once you run out of questions it does get a little bit quiet and a little bit stunted so I do encounter the awkward silence quite a lot actually in my life and um and yeah I'm not that great at handling them like like when um, me and uh, Ben, who I'm marrying next year, just in case you didn't know, yeah, um, when we had our first kiss, ooh, everyone sat up and listened there, and everyone was kind of drifting off. Um, when we had our first kiss, we were 17. I'm like, giving you a bit of insight now. Um, we were 17, and it was this really romantic situation, and we were in a park in Harrogate, because we're quite middle class, and the sun was setting, and the stars were coming out, and we both were like, oh my goodness, it's going to happen. And we both were really good friends, so it was a bit weird as well. And, and, then, um, and, then, and then it happened. And, um, and then afterwards, I was like, I don't really know what to say. <laughs> oh my word. And because I was 17, and even more awkward than I already am, I was just like, looked, had a little look around, spotted someone walking a dog, and went, oh look! A schnauzer, <laughs> which is not the thing that you want to hear if you're a 17-year-old boy and you've just kissed a girl. And her first reaction is, schnauzer. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I kind of got a bit of a thing about, or we all have it, with awkward silences, there's a bit of an urge to fill it, to like override it, to, to get rid of it. We don't like them. And I don't know about you, but even more so, um, the most awkward silence of all is the silence of God. Like, those encounters with God that you've had when you knew that he was with you in like a crazy undeniable way, or times of amazing worship, or times when you felt like the talk at church was directly aimed at you, or you had a really strong sense of godly purpose, as, a, as you know, maybe when you were a teenager and really passionate, or when you were a child, or when you were a student and you're doing loads of stuff on campus, or, or maybe when you're um, in your last job, or whatever it was. And then that feeling or that sense or whatever it is, that encounter, sense just kind of fizzles out. 
And it might just be for a few days, it might be for a few months, it might be years. And it just feels like God has taken a big step back from you. From all the ways that he had his, um, his hands in your life and was manoeuvring everything around and really interacting with you, it just goes a bit quiet. He's not saying or doing anything, it seems, really. And for me, which this does happen quite a lot, um, it isn't necessarily a painful feeling, although sometimes it can be. It depends what, what your life looks like at the time. Often it's just numb, just resigned. This moment in my faith always takes me by surprise. It just swoops in out of nowhere, and I, like, I haven't realised, but God's just gently taken his hands off the handlebars of my life, and I'm still going, but I'm coasting, and I get angry, or I get sad about it, or I'm just like, oh, I just can't be bothered anymore about this thing. Does it feel like he's involved anymore? I'm just imagining it. Or most of all, I explain it. I attempt to, um, I attempt to put reasoning to it. I'm like, oh, I, actually, he is speaking, and he's always speaking, but the reason I'm not hearing is because I'm not in the right place. I'm not, re- I'm not receptive to him. Or I'm like, oh, I'm going to try and define and decide God, God's motives for him. So I'm like, I'm deciding he's gone quiet because actually, aha, he's teaching me perseverance. It's not that I don't understand him. It's not that I don't know him. Not at all. It's because he's, he's teaching me something and, I, and that's a bit of a U-turn. I didn't realise he was going to do that. I rewrite my experiences to fit this neater framework of, of yeah, I, I understand. I'm in control. When actually, I'm just doing lopsided applications of the Bible saying, oh, it works all together for my good or, or simplistic explanations in order to tell myself that I, I still know him and I still know what's going on when I don't. Have, have you ever felt like God might not actually be there after all? Have you ever felt like if he is, he's not saying or doing anything here, so he must be elsewhere? Have you ever felt like looking for God was like a great big game of hide and seek and it's just chance as to whether you'll find him today or tomorrow or the day after or next year? Have you ever felt like your prayers, no matter how important or trivial they are, they're just shooting up into space and you're not even sure whether anyone's noticing them? Or if they are being noticed, you're not getting a yes or a no or a not yet. You're just getting nothing. Just silence. And it doesn't matter how good yours or someone else's explanation of why that's happening or how it all fits together in this glorious, like, beautiful jigsaw. It doesn't just quite, it doesn't cut it, it doesn't solve it. Our attempts to fill that awkward silence are even more pointless than mine after my first kiss or in awkward coffees with freshers. Whether you have never felt like this or whether you always feel like this, whether you feel like this right now, our passage for today has something to say about it. Ellie's going to come and read it to us. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. 
God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. That's Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 to 2, and we're just going to focus on them for a bit. So God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. God is in heaven. God is God. He's transcendent. He's beyond us. He's up there. And we're down here. So let your words be few. Don't fill that gap. Don't fill that silence. Don't try and cobble together a bridge to kind of manufacture a shortcut to him. With your words, with your explanations, or your feel-good snippets of scripture. Let it be. Let your words be few. If any of you are like me, and hopefully you are a little bit, um, so otherwise you won't relate to this at all, um, you'll, be, you'll be itching to get away from this idea of the otherness of God, that God is beyond us stuff, or you'll be worrying that I've forgotten about Jesus, <laughs> and that you're, you're hoping that I'm going to get to that bit soon, because Jesus resolves this tension. And yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, when I read this passage, when I read, do not be hasty, to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. I think, no, he's not. God is here. Or I just feel really depressed. But I think God is here. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, John 1. God has made himself known to us in Jesus. We know that. If you're, if you're following God in, in some capacity, if you're a Christian, you know that that's the truth. He's not close. He's not distant. He's, he's close. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. His Holy Spirit is in us. And Jesus, the Son of God, said, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I'm not sure this is the end of the age quite yet. This isn't guard your steps. Tread carefully. Creep cautiously towards God, like in Ecclesiastes that we've just read. This is approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive from God, as it says in Hebrews 4. We're his children. Not God in heaven and we're on earth. Behold the chasm. It's God with us. So maybe Ecclesiastes is just outdated. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe the whole thing of Jesus and him being raised from the dead and giving us his Holy Spirit and his presence with us, maybe that kind of negates this, that yoldy bit of, bit of scripture. Maybe this is old news in the Old Testament and it's been replaced by the good news of the New Testament, like a software update. Nothing wrong with the old one, just the new one works better. That would make this talk pointless. But have you ever felt... Like God might not actually be there at all. Have you ever felt like if he is, he's not saying or doing anything here, so he must be elsewhere? Have you ever felt like looking for God was like a great big game of hide and seek, and it's just chance as to whether you'll find him today, whether you'll connect with him tomorrow or the day after? Have you ever felt like your prayers, no matter how important they are, no matter how trivial they are, they're just shooting up into space without really being noticed by anyone. Or if they are being noticed, then you're not getting a yes. You're not getting a no. You're not getting a not yet. Just silence. 
doesn't matter how good yours or someone else's explanation of it, of why that's happening, it doesn't cut it, doesn't solve it. Our attempts to fill that awkward silence does not work. Ecclesiastes is a book in the Bible which faces our experience as humans head on. And that's why our series on Ecclesiastes, which we're now um, three quarters of the way through, is called Under the Sun. Because this part of the Bible speaks into what life actually often feels like as a human being, under the sun. In our position in the universe, we are under the sun. It, it points out our humanity. And that's exactly what this passage is speaking into. It recognises the disconnect between our experience and our theology. It marks the gap that can open up between how we live and what we believe. So our belief is that God is with us. He loves us and he hears us and he's speaking to us. That is true. Our experience under the sun is that it doesn't always feel like that. Sometimes it all goes quiet. Sometimes God goes silent. Ecclesiastes tells us that this experience is a legitimate moment of following God and that belief and experience they might not actually contradict one another but they don't then it fits together nicely the love of God and the silence of God don't cancel one another out but they don't fit together in a really clean way so for me the building blocks of my faith which is probably just part of our culture and um, they rest really heavily on just a few aspects of who God is. Like, there's, not, there's nothing terrible about that. I've, I've built it, this faith, all around the facts and feelings which drew me first into faith. So my experience of him, my experience of his voice, of his presence or his attention to me or to my life. And that's okay, but it's me-centred. It will not last me long. Because when God no longer acts the way that I expect him to, when he doesn't come through, when he doesn't answer my prayers the way that I wanted him to, then follow, when following him isn't like this great adventure and journey of him shaping me, it just actually ends up feeling a bit more like a treadmill. When he goes quiet, it's gutting. It's disappointing. Because he, he hasn't fulfilled my expectations of who he is and what he's supposed to do. God isn't supposed to be like this. In this passage in Ecclesiastes, it reminds us that God is God. And we are human. God cannot and does not fit into our ought-tos and should-dos. He is God. And we're not. We have not sussed him out. One of my favourite things about um, my job um, doing student work is meeting lots of people and getting to try and figure them out. I think people are fascinating, like they're like puzzles. And it's amazing to try and like analyse and be like, oh, this is a little part of your character. And you kind of fitting together this idea of who they are and what they need and, and what support they want or what's the best thing to encourage them, what's the best thing, what do you need to challenge them on. Um, I, I love doing that, but sometimes I can go a bit far and be like, I've got them pinned. I completely understand that person. When actually I, it catches me out, I get surprised because someone will end up being um, even more amazing than I thought they were or they'll really shock me with their wisdom or with their experience or I'll be like, oh, that person won't be able to do that and then they can and I'm like, oh, shouldn't have really... So I love that idea of, of trying to figure people out but uh, even if, though I think I'm quite insightful and I'm probably not, um, 
People remain a mystery to me. Other people. Even the most insightful person in the world will never fully know another human being. How much more so with God? Doesn't matter how, how insightful we are, we, we cannot know him fully. And this might seem really obvious, but it's taken me a really long time to think this through. <laughs> um, God is in heaven in the sense that he is beyond us and our understanding. Jesus has made him known, yes, but let's not run ahead of that. Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, he, God is not, we cannot fully know him. We can't pin him down. No matter how many songs we sing or sermons we listen to, no matter how much we read the Bible, we will never know him fully. We can only know in part. God must, by definition, confound human understanding. He is beyond language or science. He is brighter than light itself and bigger than anything we can possibly ever imagine. He's beyond emotion. He's beyond intellect. He's the creator. He's the beginning and the end. All perfection lies in him. Like, like when he appears in the Old Testament to people, when his like, presence is made manifest as God the creator, people just die because his presence is so powerful. Because we can't, never mind understand, we can't even withstand his non-humanness and his holiness. They just drop down before him. Speaking out of a storm, imagine that, in Job, God says to humanity, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Basically, who do you think you are? How, how can we ever explain or define God? God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. This is a hard lesson to learn. And it isn't really going to be a three-point sermon where we all find out how we're all going to engage with this. Um, but it's just an exploration, I guess, of, of trying to figure out what do we do when, when reality hits? When we have those days or those months or those years when, when it does go quiet. Ecclesiastes reminds us that when God doesn't act or answer the way you hoped or expected, let your words be few. Yes, pray and process with him. Ask him and question him. Do whatever you need to. Wrestle with your entire concept of who God is. But don't rush to explain or fill the silence on God's behalf. Don't decide for God why it's happening and what he ought to do next. Don't finish God's sentence for him. God is with you, but he is still God. I'm not saying don't approach him, not in the slightest. I'm saying don't explain for him. Don't set an, an illusion that you understand or you cannot understand, which I think often can be our first port of call. The Israelites, God's people, in the Old Testament were enslaved in Egypt and they cried out to God. And his answer came 430 years later in Exodus 3. I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying out. 430. Talk about silence. 
Later in the Old Testament, they are ruined and they're beaten by the Babylonians and they call out to God, you have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can get through. The Psalms of David speak of God's silence continually. Jesus is praying Gethsemane for another way, for not having to be brutally murdered and crucified. He goes unanswered and he cries out words of abandonment and forsakenness on the cross. On the cross. My God, why have you forsaken me? And the day after Good Friday, the day before Easter Sunday, there's a whole day of utter silence when God seemingly has nothing to say. We could very easily rush ahead. We could jump ahead to the next step. But actually, I think this is the place where we live most of our lives. The the gap between questions asked and answers given. There's so much more to be said on it. There's absolutely no way I've covered even an inch of of what we could say. And luckily, I'm not going to try and say it all. (laughs) And even if I did, it it wouldn't resolve that tension that that we need to hold of God's love that answers us and God's silence. Let God be God. My sister is a teacher. She teaches four and five-year-olds, so you can imagine the chaos. And, um, and last November, obviously, there's Remembrance Day when they do, like, a minute silence. And um, she... So, basically, they had the assembly and they did, like, a short explanation of, of what it was about and about, like, a short kind of making it, tailoring it for children about, you know, the First and Second World War and more recent conflict and why we do that minute silence and who are we remembering in that, in that silence. Um, and then they had the, the, the minute silence and they, they did the quiet and then, they, you know, they, they played the last post. I don't need to sing the last post to you. <laughs> you know it, hopefully. Um, so, and then she was like, I wonder if, you know, because they're really young, whether they actually like grasped what, what that was all about. So got to about lunchtime, a couple of hours later, and they're all queuing up for dinner. Chaotic moment in the day, I'm sure. Um, I'll never be a teacher. Um, and um, they're all queuing up, and she's like, I'm just wondering who, um, you know, who, rem- who can tell me what we were, who we were remembering this morning? You know, what was that silence for? You know, what, 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 was, it, what was it about? Um, can anyone say from a very long time ago? And a kid's hand shut up and he went, the dinosaurs. <laughs> so he was sat for a whole minute being like, we will remember them. The dinosaurs have fallen. <laughs> and then the last post played. It's probably a very emotional moment for him. Um, but he decided what the silence was about. Like, he assigned a meaning to it when he couldn't possibly really understand what it was for. He filled it with meaning. Just to, just to make it a bit more comforting or a bit, more, a bit less boring or, or whatever it is. We decide what the silence is for. When there's a gap in our knowledge, we decide what the silence is for and we decide and we fill it with meaning. We rush ahead to fill it with meaning and beauty and, and make it look good and make it feel like we're in control and that we understand God and no one else does. We actually don't. Only when our expectations of God are unfulfilled and when silence falls can we truly live by faith and not by sight. Not by the things that, that, that started us off that we grasp onto, the feelings and the signs. And the security of knowing that he will never leave us or abandon us. God's silence does not mean that he is absent. 
I just wanted to invite you to sit in the awkward silence without filling it. So we're not going to manufacture a way of getting to the Easter Sunday moment. We're going to sit in the Saturday moment, the quiet moment, when it feels like God has nothing to say. We're going to take some time to think through some of those unexplained things, unannounced prayers, and to unravel some of the expectations, the explanations, sorry, that we've, that we've put in place to kind of replace God and decide who he is for him. God is God. He is in heaven and we are on earth. So let's not race to get ahead, but let's allow God to intervene in his time and his way. This might be quite a painful thing or it might be quite a boring thing for you. Um, and don't worry, we're going to just take um, a few minutes now um, just to have actual silence. It would seem ridiculous to following this passage to not let our words be few. So we're going to respond just for the next few minutes and sit you might want to sit a bit more comfortably and, and settle, make sure you're not going to go to sleep. Um, don't worry if your head gets filled with distractions or if your mind starts, starts whirring away. Just rest. You might want to meditate on those things of the things of God that are unexplained, that seem distant and other to you. You might want to think about some of that unanswered prayer. You might be in a time when God is silent in your life but he is good. So we're just going to take a few minutes now just to take some silence and then Josh and Rosie are going to come and pray for us. God is in heaven and we are on earth. So let our words be few.